Okay, ladies, if you'll bow your heads, um, let me pray and we'll get started. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are a shield about us, our glory and the lifter of our heads. We praise you because you hear our cries for help as troubles, pain, and disappointment overwhelm us. Father God, we need your wisdom, your love, and your peace to sustain us. And Lord, as we work through this passage in Malachi, I pray that you would help us to see and understand your truth. Equip us to stand firm in the faith no matter what challenges arise. Give us ears to hear your voice, Lord. Give us eyes to see your glory. And give me, your servant, your words for your beloved women. This I ask in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. How deep is your longing for Jesus? Would you say it is a love-inflamed desire to see him face to face? We just celebrated Christmas, the first advent or coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who would save the Jews from their sin. He was their long-awaited, God-promised Messiah. But many missed Jesus' arrival because they were expecting a conquering king to come, not a baby born to a poor couple from Nazareth. There were, however, a few who were watching and waiting for him to come. They saw the signs, then they saw the Savior The wise men from the east, they saw the Bethlehem star, and they came and worshipped him. Before that, a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna saw Jesus, and their lifelong hope for Messiah was finally satisfied. Mary was a young Jewish girl at a time when all Jewish girls hoped that they might be the one to give birth to Messiah. They believed Isaiah's prophecies that Messiah would come as a baby born of a virgin. Elizabeth, the aged and barren woman who finally held a baby in her arms, understood that her son, John the Baptist, was the forerunner who would come and announce the arrival of Messiah. Her baby leapt in her womb when a pregnant Mary came to see her. These women, their husbands and others, were filled with an advent hope that was realized at the birth of Jesus. He came. He lived the perfect life that we all fail to live. He died on the cross to pay the sin debt that we could never pay. He rose on the third day, defeating sin and death forever. And he ascended to heaven with the promise to one day return and take all of his people home with him. This promise is our Advent hope today. Jesus is coming back. This was the longing of the first Christians. They couldn't wait to see Jesus. They waited with great anticipation. Do we do the same today? A.W. Tozer says that the longing to see Christ that burned in the breast of those first Christians seems to have burned itself out. 
Tozer goes on to say that while Christians should have a love-inflamed desire to see Jesus' face, we have emphasized the utility of the cross rather than the beauty of the one who died on it. The work of Christ has been stressed until it has eclipsed the person of Christ. What he did for me seems to be more important than what he is to me. Tozer prompts us to ask, how deep is our longing to see Jesus face to face? Is it a love-inflamed desire? Are we eagerly awaiting the final fulfillment of all of God's messianic promises? The Bible teaches that God's messianic promises will be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. So that's our truth that we'll look at. If you'll open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 through chapter 3 verse 5, we'll examine how Malachi points to God's promised Messiah in two divisions, the justice and the judgment. The first division is the justice, Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, 1. As we open here, Malachi levels yet another accusation against the Jews from the Lord God Almighty. Chapter 2, verse 17, he says, You have wearied the Lord by your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? This question, prefaced with the words, but you say, is the sixth time God accuses his people through the words of his prophet Malachi. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, But you say, how have you loved us? God's people questioned God's love for them because he was not giving them what they believed they deserved. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, he says, But you say, how have we despised your name? And But you say, how have we polluted you? These questions are directed at the priest for their second-rate offerings in their second-rate worship of God. In Malachi 1.13, he says, But you say, what weariness this is. God's priests were weary of bringing choice offerings to God, so they bring profane offerings to his table. They have no fear of God. In Malachi 2.14, he says, But you say, why does he not? God no longer accepted the sacrifices from Judah, his chosen people. They cannot understand why. So God tells them through his prophet Malachi. They were faithless to one another. Faithless in maintaining the, sa the sanctity of the sanctuary. And faithless to their covenant marriages. Malachi 1.16, no, sorry, 2.16, the Lord says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her covers his garment with violence. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. That brings us to 
chapter 2, verse 17. Now God says he is wearied by their words. Then he says, but you say, how? How have we wearied you? Malachi answers by pointing to the two appalling accusations that God's covenant people leveled at him. They said God favored evildoers. He even delighted in those who do evil. This is what the evidence before them appeared to indicate because they weren't receiving the covenant blessings they believed they deserved. While all around them, the wicked, godless people prospered. Don't we see that today? We see committed Christians suffering persecution, living in poverty, or afflicted by illness. And we wonder if God is withholding his hand of blessing from Christians while pouring out his blessing on the wicked. Now, context here is vital to understanding God's blessing. These were God's covenant people. Under the old covenant, the law, God promised to bless his people if they obeyed his commands and curse them if they disobeyed his commands. The Jews chose to disobey God's covenant commands repeatedly. Their gross disobedience caused the loss of the northern kingdom of Israel and sent the southern kingdom of Judah into exile for 70 years. The people of Malachi's day had just returned from those long years in exile. When they arrived in Jerusalem, times were hard. It was not easy. The pagans around them were far more prosperous. In their eyes, evil was winning. The godless appeared blessed while God's people were not. But the truth, the truth is that God's people were still being very disobedient. We have seen that in the first two chapters of Malachi. Their actions revealed that they had no fear of God. God's covenant people did not deserve his blessing. Still, when God's people then ask, where is the God of justice? He answers with an incredibly profound, far-reaching prophecy of unfathomable blessing. This prophecy reveals that God's messianic promises will be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In one verse, Malachi foretells the first and the second advents of the Lord Jesus Christ. Messiah's first advent fulfilled a promise that God made in Genesis 3.15 immediately after Adam and Eve fell into sin. 
A promise God continued to tell his covenant people about all through the Old Testament of the Bible. Where is God's justice for his people? Well, it came through two messengers. The first is John the Baptist. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now, if you recall, Malachi's name means messenger. He is the last messenger or prophet who wrote under the old covenant. John the Baptist was the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets because he came to announce the arrival of God's promised Messiah. He prepared the people for Messiah's arrival by preaching God's word and repentance from sin. As his name implies, he baptized with water as an outward sign of an inward repentance. John the Baptist ministered to God's covenant people as the old covenant of the law came to a close. He had the privilege of ushering in the new covenant of grace by presenting Jesus to Israel. John the Baptist was ultimately martyred, but he accomplished the work that God called him to do. But still, where is the God of justice? He is revealed in the work of the one John the Baptist proclaimed, Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby writes that when Christ came and died on the cross, he completely satisfied the justice of God. He paid the penalty for the sins of the world and vindicated the holiness of God. Because of Calvary, God is both just and justifier of all who trust in Jesus Christ. The first coming of Jesus Christ satisfied the justice of God. God is indeed just. He can be trusted to do what is exactly right and legally correct for every human being according to his holy standard. This is especially comforting to believers in light of the second coming or advent of Jesus Christ. The second part of verse 1 says that, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. This messenger, the messenger of the covenant, is Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ is revealed in the phrase, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, that didn't happen at the first coming. Jesus came the first time as a baby born of a virgin. But he will come again, and he will come suddenly, unexpectedly, and in great, great glory. While many missed his first advent, no one, not one person, will miss his second advent. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Yes, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be vastly different than his first coming. 
Jesus will not come to die for our sins again. He already did that once and for all time. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, Jesus is coming back to fully fulfill God's messianic promises. For now... We eagerly wait for him. We fill our souls with Advent hope and our hearts with a love-inflamed desire to see our Lord and Savior face to face. But do you sometimes wonder, where is our blessing now? Like the Jews of Malachi's day, we wonder why so many terrible things still happen in our lives today. People we love suffer from sickness. People we love die. Some people do bad or evil things. Even Christians struggle with sin. They get angry. They're unfaithful in their marriages. They gossip. They lie. They make idols of worldly things. This is all because sin is still present. Jesus' death and resurrection paid the penalty for our sin and defeated the power of sin. But sin is still present until Jesus returns. Then the presence of sin will be gone forever. There will be no more evil, no more death, no more sorrow, no more darkness, no more pain, no more sadness, and no more crying. Our salvation will be complete. Hallelujah. This is true of everyone who has trusted in Jesus' saving work on the cross. And when he returns, he will, as Richard always says, bring all of his people all the way home to heaven. And there we will live face to face with him forever and ever. Truly. God's messianic promises will be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Through his prophet, Malachi, God says that Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. He perfectly fulfilled every requirement of the old covenant law and ushered in the new covenant of grace. So the first truth that we see in this passage is that Jesus came to satisfy God's wrath against our sin and give us the certain hope of eternal life. What excites you most about the first advent of Jesus Christ? How will you keep that advent hope alive as you eagerly await Christ's second advent? What specific actions will you take to prepare for his return? Theologian Alan Bandy writes that the hope of Christ's return is more than an addendum to the gospel. It gives us the confidence of his victory and the salvation of our mortal bodies from sin once and for all. To have a glorified, resurrected body that is pure, immortal, and incorruptible. 
The second coming then has implications for how we live our lives. Waiting for his return is not passive. It is an active purifying of our lives in the pursuit of holiness in readiness for our Lord. As children of God, we will be like Jesus when he appears. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. To watch with readiness for Christ's return means we conduct our lives in such a way that we please him rather than be ashamed when he returns. Oh, Christian, Jesus came to satisfy God's wrath against your sin and to give you the certain hope of eternal life. You are called to pursue holiness, to get ready for his return. Now, this preparation is vital because at the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will not only fully fulfill God's promise to save us from sin, he is also coming to execute God's judgment. This is the theme of our second division, the judgment, Malachi 3 Verses 2 through 5. Malachi now has a question for the Jews. Verse 2, he says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Who can endure? Who can stand? Only those whose sin has been washed away by the blood of the Lamb of God and are now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Malachi continues by showing that when Jesus returns, he will prove God is just by purifying his people and judging rebellious, unrepentant sinners. Verse 2 continues through verse 3. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. These verses speak of Christ's purifying work in the sons of Levi. This refers to the priesthood. Again, Warren Wearsby writes that in the law of Moses, God provided three ways for people and things to be cleansed and made acceptable to God. Water, fire, and blood. There is no mention of blood here because Jesus Christ died for sinners at his first coming. But he would wash the unclean nation like a launderer washes dirty clothes. He would purify the tribe of Levi the way a jeweler purifies precious metals in his furnace. You see, only cleansed, purified priest could bring offerings to the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. This was true when God established the sacrificial system and the Levitical priesthood, and it held true throughout Israel's history. Here, Malachi telescopes forward when it will be true on the great and terrible day of the Lord. 
On that day, a cleansed and purified priesthood would bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. That is what the last part of verse 3 says. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Verse 4 continues saying, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. At last, Israel's offerings will be pleasing to the Lord again. The priests would no longer offer polluted, profane, and second-rate sacrifices to the Lord. Now, when you think about all these sacrifices, are you imagining the priests described in Leviticus, dressed in intricate and exquisite robes, purifying and cleansing themselves to sacrifice animals on the altar? Well, today, and at the second coming of Jesus Christ, believers are God's priest. Do you know what that means? Christian, that is you. The messenger of the covenant has washed you clean from the filth of sin. He has purified you from all unrighteousness. You have been justified or made right in God's sight. And at his second advent, Jesus Christ will make his people living sacrifices who are acceptable to the Lord. And what kind of sacrifices are acceptable to God? Perfect spotless, sinless sacrifices. Right now, we offer ourselves as spotless, sinless, living sacrifices because we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus returns, you and I will be glorified. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49 says that we will receive resurrection bodies that are pure, immortal and incorruptible. The the messianic promise of God will be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Believers, we are all being changed from glory into glory. We are being sanctified until at last we enter our heavenly home. There we will see Jesus face to face. And receive the fullness of every single one of God's promises. That is our Advent hope. The love and flame desire of every child of God. If you have yet to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Dread, not hope, should fill your soul. Because when Jesus Christ returns, he will judge all people. Verse 5 is sobering. It says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus' return will include his final judgment. He will execute God's righteous judgment of all 
people. He will examine what they have done and what they have left undone, and he will look at their sin. Then he will judge them justly. For those who have refused to accept Jesus' payment for the penalty or the price for their sin on the cross, their sin debt remains. They must pay it themselves, and they will be punished for their sin. Malachi's list of sin here reveals what was going on in his day. The same sins, however, are still being committed in our day and will continue to be committed through the end of time. All are contrary to God's holy law. The returning Messiah will be a swift witness against sorcerers or those who engage in satanic worship or practices, against those who swear falsely or commit perjury by lying under oath, against those who oppress the poor and needy. Ladies, let me tell you that God has a very special, tender place in his heart for exploited slaves, orphans, and widows. Finally, he will be a swift witness against those who are inhospitable to sojourners, or as the New Living um, Translation says, deprive foreigners living among you justice. The Jews wanted to know, where is the God of justice? And the living God answers, here I am. The Jews believed God's justice would bring them his promised covenant blessings. They failed to see that the coming king would first come as a baby born to die for their sins. They failed to see that this king's return would include worldwide terror as the wrath of God is poured out in judgment against all who do not fear him. Listen to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. The Apostle John describes that day. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who is riding on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war on the rebellious nations. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many royal crowns, and he has a name inscribed on him which no one knows or understands except himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Lord God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of kings and Lord of lords. For those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, and for those who do not fear God, the second advent of Jesus Christ is not good news. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
Jesus will also judge his people or Christians, true Christians. However, Christians will not be punished for their sin because Jesus has been punished in their place. Instead, they will be judged for what they have done in the name of Jesus. They will receive rewards in heaven for all they have done for him and his people while on earth. For believers, this is very, very good news indeed. It also gives us a passionate urgency to serve God well and minister to the least and the lost. This urgency is fueled by our second truth, that Jesus will come again to complete our salvation and judge all humankind. So what excites you about the second advent of Jesus Christ? What do you dread or fear about what will happen when Jesus returns? And what action does right thinking about the doctrine of the second coming of Christ prompt you to take? When Christ returns, he will judge all evildoers and make all things right. When Christ returns, all our struggles, all our sickness, and all our suffering will disappear forever. When Christ returns, he will establish his eternal kingdom where he will rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords over all nations forever and ever. Amen. And finally... When Christ returns, the prayers of generations of believers will finally be answered as God's will is done on earth just as it is in heaven. All of this is enough to make our love-inflamed hearts swell in anticipation and cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come! Yet the judgment that awaits the lost, gives us pause, and we cry out, but wait. When Christ returns, the day of salvation will be no more. There will be no more hope for the lost. Thankfully, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God is not slow to fulfill his messianic promises, but patient. He does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. As believers eagerly await Christ's return, they must share the gospel with their words and their deeds. When Christ returns, he will come in victory as a triumphant warrior conquering king and in judgment as the just judge of all humankind. Are you ready? Jesus will come again to complete our salvation and to judge all humankind. So how deep is your longing for Jesus? Do you have a love-inflamed desire to see him face to face? Author Joni Erickson Tata does. 
of Jesus' second advent, she writes, on this side of eternity, Christmas is still a promise. Yes, the Savior has come, and with him peace on earth. But the story is not finished. Yes, there is peace in our hearts, but we long for peace in our world. Every Christmas is still a turning of the page until Jesus returns. Every December 25th marks another year that draws us closer to the fulfillment of the ages, that draws us closer to home. When we realize that Jesus is the answer to our deepest longings, even Christmas longings, each Advent brings us closer to his glorious return on earth. When we see him as he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, that will be Christmas indeed. Heaven is about to happen. Celebration is about to burst on the scene. We stand tiptoe on the edge of eternity, ready to step into the new heaven and the new earth. There, God's messianic promises will be fully fulfilled and we will come face to face with our beautiful Savior. That is my Advent hope. Is it yours? Please pray with me. Holy Father, mighty King, truly you are just in all of your ways. You are the sovereign and ever-faithful Lord. Oh God, how we pray that your will be, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that you will not let evil prevail or prosper. Oh God, I pray that you would protect those who are being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Help them to trust you even when circumstances seem impossible. You God, you are the God of the impossible. Help our unbelief and keep our eyes fixed on the horizon ready for your return. For you will come at an hour when we do not expect you. Remind us of every aspect of your glorious character revealed in your word. You are the one true, loving, just, gracious, merciful, all-powerful, and holy God who is with us, in us, and for us forever and ever through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that I pray. Amen.